We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Welcome back to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. My name is Alan Williams, not in the studio next to me, but in Sarasota, James DiVirgilio. James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It feels good to be welcomed. <laughs> yeah, on pod. you're on the pod. Um, <laughs> guys, we got a great show for you today. We're going to discuss Iowa here in the second half. But first, we're going to get to some news and notes around the Gator program. But first, James, did you have a very Merry Christmas? I did. I had a wonderful 80-degree Christmas, which, which as a Floridian is great. I also got to spend some time in Chicago. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations go in the cold weather which is maybe even better before christmas so i don't know about you but i was one of those florida kids that just complained that when i would listen to songs about how it's so cold outside and all the christmas songs that reference the weather i'm looking out at a, at a warm hot day but getting both this christmas season was wonderful i i, I think maybe i'll try to do that every single year get myself in the cold before and then come back to the hot so sounds, it was a win. Sounds lovely. My Christmas was excellent. Got some fun gifts. I hope your Christmas and holidays was good as well. So James, the major news coming out of the program since last time we recorded was that Jeff Collins has been named head coach of Temple University. And we're sad to see him go, aren't we? Uh, it felt like a gut punch. I, I really didn't want to see him go. I think we had highlighted it or I had highlighted that I thought he was one of our best coaches if not maybe our best X's and O's coach, which is a big statement because before the year I had said we didn't see him prove himself. But the job he did with the injuries that we took on is obviously what partially garnered, I think, the interest of Temple is he did go from sort of a guy that had success at Mississippi State to a guy that inherited Will Muschamp's players to a guy that made a name for himself. So congratulations to him. 
but that that felt like bad news to me and and still possibly feels like bad news to me i don't think you just maybe replace a guy like jeff collins schematically he 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 did a great job we'll see what happens next year yeah it's going to be an interesting thing to watch this program navigate another major change so i mean he'd only been there for two years along with the rest of the staff so uh you know i'm hopeful that they'll be over to be able to overcome him leaving and there are some guys on the staff randy shannon you know, most notably, I think can pick up where he left off, hopefully, but we'll see. Uh, do you expect them to make an outside hire or do you expect them to name Randy Shannon as the defensive coordinator? I don't really know. There's been a lot of rumors all over the place about some big splashes that we're supposed to be hiring in the coaching staff. And so I want to say that Randy Shannon seems like an obvious candidate. He's a good recruiter, if not a great recruiter. He's been a head coach before. He obviously has been a defensive coordinator before. So there's plenty of room for him to take over that job. It seems like the logical thing to do. The only reason you wouldn't do that is if you got a guy that you thought was even better than Randy Shannon at that spot. How likely is that? I don't really know. I can't think of any guys off the top of my head that would that would be on my wish list that would be realistic. So it seems like he'll be the guy. But I definitely think that they're going to interview other candidates before they just give it to Randy Shannon. Yeah, I think they owe it to themselves to do the due diligence and go through the process and see who else is out there. I mean, I think, you know, I was a little nervous about Randy Shannon leaving because he's been such an excellent recruiter for us in the South Florida area. I don't know. I think he, you know, he's qualified. He's an excellent, um, I think, person as well as a coach. So that seems to make the most sense. And that's would be my expectation. I would be surprised if they went another route, but that certainly is a possibility. Let's talk about other coaching changes. We kind of did our own little role play last time we were on and like, who would we keep and who would we, you know, let go. I think both of us thought there'd be, we would make changes along the offensive line and special teams. Are you expecting any other movement along the coaching staff in the next couple of weeks? Well, it will be interesting to see if we make those moves. So it, especially in along the lines of Mike Summers, the offensive line coach, it's hard to know if we're going to make a change there. Nobody seems to know, but we had a great Christmas day signing recruiting wise. And that was big. We got a four-star offensive lineman. There seems to be momentum picking up in that area. Mike Summers has been involved in a lot of the bigger recruiting visits. So it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Certainly does seem like Greg Nord is going somewhere. And again, there's these, these message board rumors, these, these dark alley rumors there's going to be some sort of big offensive splash hire that's potentially happening some great news coming for florida uh, these things happen a lot of times and then nothing actually does happen but it seems like it seems like the month of january should be a busy one for us as gator fans with regards to coaching so only time will tell but i do expect there to be some changes we're just not going to know which ones those will be yeah you would think um we would have heard a little bit more news, but it was a little, the dead period of recruiting. And sometimes these changes happen after signing day where they, a program doesn't want to reveal any instability until after those guys are in. So a lot of times you'll see movement after signing day, which is in early February. The other, I guess, newsworthy moment, if you consider it news, it's just more of the same, I guess. Uh, Austin Appleby will be the starter for the Gators against Iowa not a true freshman, which is what we predicted. Um, does that still sit right with you? 
Yeah, give us a pat on the back for that one. It seems like the most logical decision. I like this decision. I just, I just, as we said in the pod, I couldn't find enough pros for as to why I'd put a freshman in there. I'm, I'm not saying that this is a black and white decision where it's like absolutely you played Appleby and everything else was stupid. But it seemed like there were more pros than going with Appleby. We know Luke Del Rio's back. He'll back him up. And, and there's really no chance, I think, that a true freshman sees the field burning a red shirt. Uh, a, a probably a more interesting topic would be what's floating around the college football circles now, which is to allow bowl games to be played by freshmen without having them burn their red shirt. I like that idea. I think that's how a lot of coaches use bowl games. I think that'd be a wonderful thing to do. And if that was the case, this might be a different conversation. But as it stands, Austin Appleby will finish his career against Iowa, which is the same team that he began his career with. Yeah, so that, fun trivia back that's there. Interesting. Yeah, and I, and I was in favor of this decision. I don't, I'm not a fan of burning the red shirt. There's just too much, I don't know, too many things that could go sideways on you. You don't know the future well enough, and this game doesn't mean a whole lot. But it, well, we won't know this unless the coaches come out and say, but I'd also be interested in them giving you know starters reps to one of the freshmen and just let Appleby play the game, you know, with like, you know, backup reps, because who cares? But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but that's the, I guess, other noteworthy announcement coming out of the program in the last couple of weeks. And probably the biggest news item that was passed down for the past three weeks here since we haven't been podcasting is that the state of Florida is now at the hardest level for recruiting in the history of the state with the additions of Charlie Strong and Lane Kiffin to the recruiting mix. Alan, what are your thoughts on this? What was your reaction to it when it happened? Does this affect Florida going forward recruiting-wise, or is this just overblown? Yeah, I think it's a little overblown. I mean, certainly I think the competition goes up in some sense, but I don't think for Florida, Florida State, and Miami. uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of kids who are going to choose – FAU or FIU or USF, you know, rather than one of the big three. I think where this is going to hurt is other schools coming in trying to recruit the state of Florida. I could definitely see a kid choosing USF over West Virginia or Oklahoma or, you know, name literally any other D1 program. Almost every school on the eastern half of the country has kids from Florida on their team. So everybody recruits Florida. So I think that's who it's going to hurt the most is, you know, schools coming in trying to poach Florida kids that maybe these schools are going to pick up a few more of them now. What about you? It's certainly interesting. You know, right now we're 18th in recruiting, and we're just going to put that out there. That's from ESPN. There's several other ranking sites we could use, but that's just a a mark in the sand. So we can reference it as, as this year and then 2017 really goes on so we're currently 18th we're behind the legs of several of the other opponents and teams that will play next year south carolina texas a&m georgia etc and now we have increased competition in the state like you said mark Richt that moves the needle for us certainly at miami those are recruits we'd like to compete with in south florida jimbo fisher of course absolutely being the premier program in the state right now that moves the needle for us how often do you see a list of of players Florida goes after that have a USF or a UCF or an FAU tagged in there. Very few. You're probably talking at most a couple of guys 
in every recruiting cycle. So it's not going to directly affect us, but I think your point is well made. It's probably going to significantly affect the other schools that count on getting two or three or four Florida guys in the two and three star range that they probably are not going to be able to get now. And that will be fun to watch. It should make the state of football in Florida better uh, because the better the competition within the state, the more notoriety, the more excitement, that sort of thing. So I think all in all, it could be beneficial for Florida as it builds more buzz within the state. The perception of Jim McElwain and where he ranks on that coaching list is a fun one too. There was plenty of people tweeting out that, hey, we have the worst coach out of all of those. I certainly don't think that's true as Lane Kiffin has proven to be a incredibly <laughs> fantastic failure as a head coach everywhere he is, which is why he's at FAU. And, and I think his fun thing is if you read his resume backwards, it looks really impressive. But if you read it yes. in the proper direction chronologically, it's not so impressive. There's a reason why he's there. But anyway, fun, fun topic. I don't think this is going to crush us recruiting, but we certainly, as I continue to reiterate, have to do better in recruiting if we want to compete with the elite teams. And that's going to be something to watch. So will this affect us? No, I don't think so. But do we have to get better in recruiting? Yes, I think we do. Yeah, and I, you know, I think our recruiting, you mentioned we're 18 right now. That's, I think, currently with about, I think, 14 or 15 recruits. I'm expecting that ranking to go way up in terms of us climbing closer to the top 10. Um, our star rating, if you take it like our average star rating, is is decently high for the number of recruits we have. And I think most of the guys we're closing in on are of the four-star variety. So you could see that number jump up as signing day approaches. Are you hopeful about the way this class is trending, James? I don't know where I stand. We're in we're in the mix right now for 10 guys or so that, like you're referencing, are, are going to fill out our class. And if we get a significant amount of those guys, we certainly will be right around number 10 probably recruiting-wise. And that would be just fine. I would be just fine with that landing a four-star on Christmas was big. We don't on this podcast talk a lot about the individual recruiting because as you and I both know, it changes so often. It's not really worth following on a daily basis unless you just love drama. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, mainly because I do think McElwain's a detail-oriented guy. I do think he understands right now that recruiting is the staff's biggest weakness. And from all the rumblings I hear, he is attempting to address that. So if he is the the strategic general I believe him to be, he's going to pour his resources into making this better. And hopefully that begins right now with him realizing that he is going to have to close strong in this recruiting class. He's going to have to commit his resources to this. And so cautiously optimistic. How about you? Yeah, same. I mean, I don't think we stay at 18. There's That would be really a sad end to the recruiting cycle for this coaching staff. But I don't know if we climb all the way inside the top 10. Of course, that's all relative to, to what other schools are doing. But yeah, if you're someone who's freaking out right now about the recruiting rankings, I would suggest trying to chill out a little bit about it. But the, you're very much correct in that this is the staff's major weakness and they need to keep moving forward and trying to get a better grasp on this. And, you know, we've had people say here even on the show is that it's a process to build relationships in recruiting these days. You don't usually jump in and start cleaning house right away. Um, especially with this generation, but I'm hopeful. Hopefully we'll see this continue to climb for the program. 
Speaking of changes in around University of Florida, you and I both got the chance to be at the inaugural event of the O'Connell Center, now I guess Exact Tech Arena. What are your thoughts on the new Odom? I really loved the inside of it. There's been a lot of discussion on the exterior part of it. Like when you come into it, what does it look like? There's been a lot of discussion on the hallways. I've heard people talk about they liked it. It was too cramped. It was confusing. But I'm going to focus my comments on where you're going to spend most of your time, which is really watching the basketball game. And I thought they did a fantastic job. The lighting is extremely good. It feels like an NBA arena. It's dark on the outside, well lit up on the court. Uh, the sight lines are fantastic. The seats are extremely comfortable. I think it's a really, really quality arena. I think that what they tried to do, what they tried to achieve was a, was a, a very significantly upstreamed production with regards to basketball in particular. And I think they've, they've nailed that. It obviously retains a lot of its original feel. You look at the ceiling and you say, hey, it's kind of the same. But then it also feels completely new and different at the same time, which I think is difficult to do. So with that regard... I thought they nailed it. I think that the reaction has been very, very positive to it. Uh, and the arena itself, I think, looks much, much better, much more impressive than it did before. And it's, it's a lot more comfortable as a fan to watch the game. Now, I know some people out there are disappointed that they didn't follow through on their original plan to put the benches in for the students. And that could affect maybe potentially how rowdy the rowdies are if they have cushy chairs to sit in that will remain to be seen. But overall, I really loved it. And I know you did too. What were some of your favorite parts of it? Yeah, I mean, you're right. The lighting looks incredible. The court is very well lit. And the crowd is at a really nice ambient level there. And thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I'm looking forward to watching a lot of games in there. So that's the O-Dome itself. What about the, the team playing inside the O-Dome? Is this team second year under Mike White? We're just going to do a quick little basketball conversation here. So don't worry if you're out on the basketball team are they playing above or below your expectations well we talked before the season not on the air and alan and i had said this is probably going to be a bubble team and looking at the schedule and how weak the sec is they should probably sneak into the tournament i think for me i've moved into the we should definitely make the tournament i've seen enough to be confident that we're going to make the tournament this year to me that would be a success especially given where i looked at the beginning of the season I, I am beginning to really like Mike White's coaching. And I did say last year, I thought as a coach, I liked the things he was doing with the team. I thought that we got better as the year went on. We're still frustrating. We're still missing pieces. But I think he's giving this team a discernible identity. And the same thing that Mike White's going to have to prove is the same thing Jim McElwain seems to have to prove, which is can he recruit? Uh, we had one of the country's best recruits and lost him in a heartbreaker to Kentucky. So I like it. I like this year's team. They're exciting to watch, even though we don't score traditionally well. We put up a lot of points given the way that we play. I'm excited about this basketball season. I wish we played in a better conference where we got to watch better games. But regardless, I think I think Mike White's boys have a chance to be dangerous. And, and this could be a really interesting spring for Gator fans. So if you're not a fan, consider checking it out. If you are a fan, uh, consider picking us to make the tournament. Yeah, I thought um, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, really fun style of play overall in that up and down. We're not a very efficient team, so we try to create a lot of possessions, which is really smart, use our athleticism. And we shot incredibly well against Arkansas Little Rock, which is a team that made the tournament last year um, and won a game. And if we shoot like that, we'll, we can literally beat anybody in the country. I don't expect us to on very many nights, but just shows the ceiling of this team. 
Um, I mean, they crushed them and it seemed easy. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And I think they're going to make the tournament as well. It would be a major disappointment at this point. I think we're in the top five in RPI, or at least we were last week. Um, and so that's really shows the strength of schedule that they've played thus far, you know, lacking a big, big time win. You know, I think the, the best two teams we played, we lost to and Gonzaga and Duke, but we were in those games with a chance to win it. So I, yeah, encouraging things in my opinion as well. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. And on the second half of the show, we're going to dive into this Iowa game and see what we think about that. Before we jump into the Iowa breakdown, let's talk about two teams in the sec that have already played their bowl games. And then afterwards we'll discuss the rest of the sec bowl games along with the playoffs, but let's just take things in order here. First things first, Vanderbilt versus NC state in the camping world independence bowl. NC state beats Vanderbilt 41 to 17, continuing the dominance of the ACC over the sec this year. Your thoughts on that one, Alan? Yeah. Vanderbilt getting crushed. I mean, I didn't think that, Vanderbilt get beaten this badly, but I was expecting them to lose. So NC State showing up well for this one. Yeah, good season from NC State. A little bit up and down. Played some good teams close. And Vanderbilt had a lot of momentum. I'm a big subscriber to the momentum theory of bowl games. Had tons of momentum coming into this game. They really finished on a high note. So there really is something this year to the ACC waxing the SEC. There, there definitely seems to be something to that. The other game, which happened on Monday, the day after Christmas, Mississippi State beats Miami of Ohio in a thriller blocking a field goal at the end to win in the St. Petersburg Bowl. Yeah, this is a fun game if you're watching it. A little dramatic there at the end. Um, Mississippi State, I don't know what to make of them at all. They've lost inexplicably and won inexplicably. So, I mean, this feels right in line that they would play a crazy game against a mime of Ohio team that's really not that impressive, obviously. No, they're not. They have a few veteran players, and they can do some things. But either way, good for Dan Mullen. He kind of snuck out a, a sneakily positive season. I'm sure the fans in Starkville are, are happy with it. And speaking of happiness, Christmas time is my favorite time of year. Bowl season is maybe just the opposite for me. I don't know. I don't even care to really watch these games. And you think you and I have a podcast on football. Like I love college football. And yet these games are on, and I'm like, meh. I don't really care if it's a bowl game. Do you do you have the same sense of malaise that I do about bowl season? It's sort of just like meh. Oh, totally. I mean, I there's some games that I think I'll watch. And I end up not. But if it's on, it's kind of better than nothing. If you're looking for a college football game to watch, and I I do like to remind myself that in a couple of weeks I'll be itching for some college football and be you know left in the cold for that. So you know they're fun. They they don't. You know, people talk about too many bowls, but who cares? If you don't want to watch them, don't watch them. But, and I'm in that category. I usually don't care, so I don't watch them. Um, yeah, so that's bowl malaise. And I think that carries over to things like our bowl as well. It feels like Florida. I mean, have you heard a single Florida fan talking about this game at all? Actually, this is the first time that I've talked about this game with anybody. And then how many weeks have passed since our last podcast? And I have a podcast. My friends know that I have a podcast and not one person has discussed the game. And we've discussed a whole bunch of other things in life. And so I think that that point right there illustrates at least where the Florida fans are with regards to this game. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, in general, I think both of us hold the view that bowl games are really not that important. They don't you can get really high or low around them. And except for the playoff games or like a big Rose bowl game or something, it's like whatever team 
cares the most usually will win if they're somewhat equal. And not just care day of, because lots of people will care once they're on the field. But did they care enough in the weeks leading up to it where they practiced and prepared and ate right and did all these things? And a lot of times you sh- teams show up and it's like, man, they did literally nothing for three weeks and they're getting smashed. So with that, I, yeah, mean, I, don't, I don't know. What is your feeling about bowls in general right now? Yeah, the malaise and, and our game, total malaise. And I, I just – the thing about it is it, it doesn't matter if there were three bowls or there were 100 bowls. And we talked about this last year. But if you're new to the show, Alan and I's opinion really is that bowl games are essentially exhibition games. And that's the problem. Would I watch these games if they meant something? Absolutely. Of course I would because I love meaningful college football. But these are just complete third-place games in a tournament. That's good. That's that good they mainly have gotten, they've mainly gotten rid of these games, unless you're a soccer fan, which they still play these games, which the players complain about them all the time because nobody wants to play in the third-place game. It's just not what you want to do. And these are all a bunch of third-place games, except they're actually like 15th-place games or 30th-place games, and nobody cares. I don't care. Would I rather have them not on? I don't know. I just don't really care. And that's what I feel like. I don't hate them, but I don't like them. And it's just frustrating to me that it's the polar opposite of March Madness, which is this wonderful coronation and culmination of college basketball and college football, the sport that I love the most. It just ends with a thump, just this, this just kind of disappears into the, into the wilderness. And it bothers me every single year. At least we have a 14 playoff, which is exciting, but the rest of these bowl games just feel so, so silly. It, I don't know. There's some redeeming grace about not making a playoff and then not actually having to play anymore because nobody wants to watch your miserable team play. So maybe I'm being too harsh with that. But <laughs> bowl season, yeah, not that exciting. Our game, I'm not that excited about it. In fact, I can't even imagine going to this game. It's the Outback Bowl, which, first of all, does not stoke any excitement in me. And second of all, we're playing Iowa. It's like a mirror image of our own team. There's like almost nothing that makes me excited about watching this football game. I don't even know if I really want to watch this football game. Maybe that's sacrilegious. I don't know about you, Alan, but it's hard to be like, oh, I can't wait for January 2nd to watch the Outback Bowl against Iowa. I know. They're they're about as nondescript opponent as you could get. I mean, if we were playing someone with some flash and dash, that might spike the meter for me. But yeah, pretty rough. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Is there something in this bowl game that could happen that would be significant, either positively or negatively for you? No. No, there really isn't. Like, that's the thing. It's an exhibition game. It's just, this is an exhibition game. And and it's an exhibition game where you don't play another game for seven or eight months. So it doesn't matter to me what one particular player does that's young. It, 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 no, literally none of it matters. You're, you're going against an opponent that's a bunch of seniors that won't be there next year either. Like none of this stuff has relevance. The practices are super important. That's where all the work is really, really done is those 15 extra practices. That is vital. That's crucial to building a program. That's why bowl games are important. But on the field, there's almost nothing that can happen that will make me care about how that affects us next year. Of course, I would like to see our coaching staff not make simple errors that would be something that would be nice right like let's just let's not make simple errors coaches shouldn't do that but player wise it doesn't matter i mean it just doesn't matter although i will say one thing alan i will say one thing and this is the thing i remember when Jeff driscoll struggled against louisville in that season although i didn't care about bowl games i remember thinking to myself this is not a good sign like it was the end of the year and as a quarterback he had regressed we don't have 
any situations where I think we can observe that this particular game, which is why I'm saying there's no compelling thing I think that come out of this game. What about you? I mean, I would like to see the offensive line play well. I think that would be helpful. I mean, but outside an extreme either positive or an extreme negative, I don't know that I'm going to could take away. I mean, the defense, if they played exceptionally well, they're certainly capable of that. And it's in against an Iowa team that's pretty bad on offense. So I don't know if that means anything. And if we play extremely well with Austin Appleby at quarterback, does that mean anything at all? Because he's leaving. So I, I don't know. It's going to be hard to take away anything from this game. But, you know, in the end, I would prefer us to look better than worse, I guess. You know, that's all I can really say about that. Speaking of this Iowa team, James, why don't you give us a little primer on them? Well, Iowa is essentially statistically really a, a mirror image of, of Florida in so many ways, just with, with fewer recruits. So uh, Iowa's past four recruiting years, according to ESPN, 49th, 57th, 49th, and 59th. Those are their past four classes. The seniors on this team, they're part of that class that was ranked in the 50s. They're, they finish about 50. Certainly Florida has significantly more talent. The spread in this game right now is Florida by three. Over-under is 40 and a half. So Vegas thinks it'll be close. And you could say to yourself, well, Florida has so much more talent. Why is it this game will be close? Well, Kurt Ferentz and Iowa have sort of mastered getting the second-level recruit and playing a style that is able to keep them close and competitive. And that style is essentially the style we're playing with, which is why I'm so frustrated. It's because elite teams shouldn't have to play to that style. But if you break down the stats, they're a top 25 defense. They're fantastic in the red zone in both offense and defense, top five in the country. Very, very hard to score against them in the red zone. And they score over 90% of the time when they have the ball in the red zone. They have an average rushing attack, and they run the ball a ton. Very poor passing attack. They allow a lot of sacks. They rarely turn the ball over. They have a very, very good time of possession. And essentially, their goal is to remain close and win a close game against elite opponents, which is what they did when they had one of their key wins against Michigan. Beat Michigan in a very, very close defensive game where neither team could get more than 250 yards of offense. It was a field goal kicking contest, and they squeaked one out. I think they're going to look to do much the same against us in this game. They had a significant win against Nebraska, Minnesota. They also beat Miami of Ohio. They've won three games in a row. They're absolutely on fire, uh, according to them. If you look at their fan base, they're very excited about this game. They're very excited about what's going on because they've gotten obliterated in their past few bowl games, and they are on a mission to make sure they don't get crushed this year. They also have some bad losses. Penn State ran the ball effectively all over them, beating them 41-14. They lost in a close game to Wisconsin, 17-9. They lost to Northwestern, and they also lost to North Dakota State. North Dakota State's the powerhouse of the FCS. Still an at-home loss to North Dakota State. So when you break down Iowa, it's, it's, a, it's a good rushing offense, poor passing attack, top-level defense, a team that plays ugly, wins ugly, and you're thinking, great. Did I really want to play another Florida Gator-style team in my bowl game for my holiday cap-off? No, I didn't. Now, the contrast to Iowa and us comes in the key player segment. They are a senior-laden team. Their cornerback, Desmond King, was a Thorpe Award winner last year for the best cornerback in the country. He has an NFL future. He'll probably be a second or third round pick. Their running back, uh, LaShawn Daniels, solid running back. Probably not NFL material. If he is, he'll be a a late round pick, but 1,000-yard rusher. uh, One of those guys that can really grade on you, runs well, solid vision. Their quarterback is a senior. 
C.J. Bethard. He has a, a pretty significant NFL future, according to most analysts, probably as a backup, but either way, very experienced, played, played in one big games, and they have a very, very good defensive lineman in Jaleel Johnson, who's probably going to be a late-round pick in the NFL. So if you look at their team in totality, they're like us with weaker recruits, but more, more veteran leadership. So that skews, I think, towards them when you look at the, the basic metrics that way, and then you get the momentum. I think they care about this game a lot more than we do. Lastly, when you put in the film, uh, what stands out to me is they run a very, very vanilla 4-3 defense, which we've had most of our success against teams that run a very, very vanilla 4-3 defense. That's the good news for us. They play a lot of zone. Uh, and on the offensive side of the ball, they run in, in a zone blocking scheme, and they have a West Coast passing offense. Very short, lots of underneath stuff. Michigan was able to run exclusively a press man style that we run and shut them down, holding them to just 66 passing yards. There's not a lot of reason to think they could pass against us with the natural style we employ. This game is almost exclusively going to come down to which team can stop the other team's rushing attack. So now that we've got the primer on Iowa, let's take a look at what the keys to the game are and is. And Alan, let's start with the injury report for Florida because that in and of itself seems to be a key to every game this season. Yeah, you mentioned Luke Del Rio is probable for this game, but... I don't think that means he plays probably, but um, looks like Jared Davis will be available. And there's a whole bunch of guys who are questionable. A guy who's maybe surprisingly questionable and not out is Alex Anzalone could play in this game. I don't know if that's a smart idea or not, but he's a possibility. And then David Reese, Brian Cox, Duke Dawson, Martez Ivy, Nick Washington, Antonius Clayton, whole laundry list of mostly defenders there who are, questionable for this game so Gators could be missing a ton of guys for this game on defense if we had everybody healthy it feels like that tilted in our favor if some of these guys play especially Davis Anzalone wow you know that that could be huge for the Gators um that's what I would say on defense is our health who do we have out there who's playing well and can can we stand up to like a sometimes brutal you know, I.O. rushing attack. And then on offense, you know, I this is like seems so vanilla for a bowl game where you want them to like turn it loose. But you saw what happened. The times when Iowa wins is when the other team gives them the ball in, in good field position. So do we give Iowa short fields? If we make them go the length of the field, even if we don't have all of our defense out there, it feels like we'll be able to stop them. So do we not turn the ball over on offense is maybe as basic as I can get with this. What about you? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and it's so crazy. Every week we do this segment, I think to myself, how do I not say a cliche? <laughs> but football, when you're the Gators, is a simple game because your your margin for winning is very small, and that essentially means that you have to do things to make sure that you can increase your probability of winning, which is like not turn the ball over. Well, the team you're playing in Iowa rarely ever turns the ball over. In most of the games Florida won this year against better opponents, we would win the turnover margin. That was one of the biggest things that led us to be able to compete against the better teams. Iowa generally is not going to give you that. So in, in the absence of that, which team can drive the ball down the field more consistently without turning it over? Probably Iowa. Austin Appleby is a turnover machine waiting to happen on his best day. And and I'm sure the game plan in this particular game since the bowl game, <laughs> I can't imagine that we're going to run the ball 85 times. I could be wrong. 
Uh, but I think Iowa will. I think Iowa wants to win this game. I think they're treating it like a regular game, and I think they're going to hand it off, run, 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 punt as many times as they need to to try to win the game 3 nothing. So almost by de facto style difference where, where McElwain is trying to build an offense, he's trying to prove to Gator fans he can do it, he has a momentum issue with let me show people I can score. And Kurt Ferentz is like, hey, let me show you I'm not going to get blown out in this game because we've gotten waxed by Stanford and Tennessee and others. Let me just hold on tight. So it seems to me that the turnover battle would favor Iowa, and I think a key to the game is, is rushing. And so if we stop Iowa's rushing attack, if we hold them to under 125 yards, it's going to be very, very hard for them to score points on their own. If they stop our rushing attack, it's going to be very, very hard for us to score points on our own, which means this game could be a miserably low-scoring and unfun game. But the key to the game, I think, is turnovers as well as rushing. If if the team that rushes the ball for more yards and also wins a turnover battle, that team's going to win the game in almost every scenario. So I would look for those two things. That's going to be what I think this game hinges on. Yeah, if one thing that Kurt Ferentz has shown that it's that he's not afraid to punt. So I would expect a lot of punts in this game. He can get uber conservative, uh, mostly, I don't know, I would say mostly helpful, could keep them in gains, but then they can be just intolerable to watch. So it might be a battle of the punters, and if that's the case, we have a good one. All right, let's not mess around anymore. What's your prediction for this Outback Bowl Ugh, you know, the fans of McIlwain, and I'm not saying I'm not a fan of McIlwain, but the fans, the true fans of McIlwain will consistently say that he wins all the games he should win, beats all the teams that he should beat, and that's what he does. Iowa, technically, is probably a team that we should beat. Not definitely. This is not like playing an inferior team in the SEC East, but probably a team that we should beat. However... This just feels like a game that Iowa wants so badly and that we don't care about, our fans don't care about. It just seems like James's bowl momentum meter goes in favor of Iowa, and I'm going to go with that, which is so different for me. Each week you guys hear me break down the X's and O's and the reason why I think on film we can do something. But I think bowl games, you throw all that stuff out the window and you just simply go with which team wants it more. I think they want it more. I think that they're approaching this game as a statement game for them to prove something. And I just don't know that we're looking at it that way. So I think Iowa wins this game. And if they're going to win, it's going to have to be a low-scoring affair. Uh, 17-13 is what I'll take them in. Okay. Wow. Pick up the Hawkeyes. I got a pretty close score to that. And I'm going to go 20-13 to Gators. I know in a weird way, some of these injuries, you know, it's going to force a lot of young guys in the field who probably want to play in this game. And on offense, we still have a lot to prove, so maybe there will be a little bit motivated as well. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I don't see either team putting up a lot of points. This might even be too high. <laughs> maybe nobody gets to 20. But I'm going to say 2013 Gators. Yeah, or it's a classic bowl game where we come out and just steamroll them or they come out and steamroll us. And, I mean, how many totally. bowl games do you turn on and watch that happen? And that, that's that's why it's like these things are just so hard to predict. But I, I think the most important thing, I don't know how you feel about it now, like we said, and I can't reiterate it enough. If we were to lose this game 20 to nothing, I really don't even think I would. We got crushed by Michigan last year, and I went on the podcast, and I said, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that Michigan's going to win a national title, and it doesn't mean that we're going to be terrible. And I think that was exactly true this particular year. I mean, it's just it just doesn't really matter that much. So whatever you're thinking about bowl games, temper your expectations 
go back and take a look at some studies of what happens to teams that win bowl games in the past and how that correlates to next year, because there is certainly no correlation or causation, I can assure you. So don't worry about what happens in this game. It's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. It's far more important that we begin to get top-level recruits. We begin to get a quarterback and develop that quarterback through the spring, through the summer, and going into next year with our first game against Michigan in the game that matters. That's the most important thing. And hopefully those practices have begun to do just that. This will be our final segment of this week's special and abbreviated podcast. You may have noticed we didn't have any guests this week. Well, Alan and I were busy Christmasing and thought it would have been quite difficult to get two really quality guests for you on such short notice and such a close proximity to Christmas Day itself. But we do have a special treat for you, which is a bowl game breakdown. We're going to begin with the SEC games remaining to be played, and then we'll move into a playoff discussion uh, for the games that, that really, really matter. But first up, Alan... Texas A&M against Kansas State. Texas A&M favored by two and a half points. That is December 28th. You know, Bill Snyder always surprises you uh, in these games because um, he's he's a crafty, wily veteran. But I think A&M is so much more talented. I'd be surprised if they lost this game. Seems like a game that A&M should win. Again, bowl game motivation-wise. Who wants this one more? Probably K-State. But I'm going to go A&M here and just – it just feels like a game that should win. I agree with you there. All right, South Carolina somehow drew USF, which is kind of fun, kind of crazy. USF's 10-2, and two, South Carolina is 6-6. Six and six. USF favored by 10 points. What do you got? Yeah, this is hard to pick because USF's coach is now Oregon's coach. So what, when you these programs go through transitions like this, are they motivated? Are they not motivated? Um, I would definitely pick South Carolina to cover – and I, you know, I might pick them to win because I don't know that UCF is going to show up for this game. What about you? Yeah. So USF, interesting. They just don't play any defense at all. In a weird way, this seems like a good matchup for South Carolina. If Will Muschamp comes with a good game plan and he is able to score some points on offense, which again he should be able to do, this could be a high scoring, high scoring in the twenties kind of game they can win. But I like USF here. I think that they can they can carry on their offense without Willie Tiger here for this one game, and I think South Carolina is just not quite ready for this kind of game yet. Arkansas takes on Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, an incredibly great year this year with my boy Justin Fuentes at the helm. Uh, that has Virginia Tech favored by seven over Arkansas. Who do you like there? Yeah, do you get good Arkansas or bad Arkansas? Um, maybe either way, I'm going to take Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm taking Votek as well. I think that they're they're getting better with every single game, and you definitely can't say that with Arkansas. Georgia, seven and five. Georgia takes on a super super disappointing six and six TCU. The line for this game is even. Yeah, this is an interesting game. Um, I might actually check this one out if I get a chance here. But Georgia feels like they're trending in a better direction than than TCU is. So I'm going to go Georgia. This is a difficult one to pick. Both of these teams are, are not good. I, I think this momentum meter is going to come into play here. I think Georgia really wants this game. I think Kirby wants this game. He wants to get to eight wins. TCU going six and seven would be bad for Gary Patterson, but I think I think Georgia wants this one more. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them in this particular game. Nebraska going up against Tennessee in the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. Just in case you wanted to know that the Music City Bowl now had a sponsor. You've got it. Tennessee favored by six and a half points over Nebraska. What do you think here? The champions of life, I think, continue to take a tumble. I'm going to take Nebraska in this game. 
Nebraska is just completely like I don't know disappeared at moments. They're just such another really weird team. Two enigma teams here going up against each other. I'm going to take Tennessee in this one for no really particular reason other than Tennessee seems to play well in bowl games in the past. So keep that going. LSU against Louisville. This is a very intriguing game in the Citrus Bowl. LSU favored by three and a half points. Yeah, maybe the bowl game I'm most interested in. Man, Louisville has looked incredible at moments, obviously. The Heisman Trophy winner. But they were really falling off at towards the end of the season. Gosh, I want to pick LSU, but I don't want to pick LSU. Uh, I'm going to go LSU. <laughs> For an exhibition game, this is definitely as good as it gets. You get an LSU defense that's loaded with talent. You get a, a newly named head coach there that's actually coaching this bowl game, trying to build momentum. I think they have a million different reasons for as to why they want to win this game. Louisville, I think, also has a lot of reasons as to why they want to win this game. Bobby Petrino's there. He wants to beat the SEC, a place he's obviously coached before. They have finished poorly here in the end, and, and watching Axon Jackson go up against LSU's defense should be entertaining. I just think Louisville's really struggled. I think the blueprint's out on how to stop them. I think LSU will be able to do that. I like LSU in this game. Georgia Tech plays Kentucky. Georgia Tech favored by three and a half points, eight and four Georgia Tech, seven and five Kentucky. It's almost weird just to say Kentucky being in a bowl game, but what do you got there? Yeah, Kentucky playing well towards the end of the year. This Georgia Tech team is hard to, you know, prepare for, but Kentucky's will have had enough time to do that. I feel like I'm picking a lot of SEC teams here when I wouldn't have thought that would have been the case, but I'm going to go Kentucky here. I like your your rationale. I think that's the proper rationale to use there. But I'm going to go Georgia Tech because I cannot deny the ACC's dominance over the that's SEC thus far. And I'm going to I'm going to go with that. But I like what you went with. We're going to save the last one. Well, not the last one, but the second to last one is which a playoff game. We'll go to Auburn, Oklahoma. Auburn, Oklahoma, eight and four. Auburn, ten and two. Oklahoma, Oklahoma favored by three in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, the big question here is: Does White Sean play? Sean White, the quarterback from Auburn. Uh, I think if he does, this is a very interesting game. Um, but regardless, I'm going to pick Oklahoma. This is a game that I feel like Oklahoma has to win. Bob Stoops has had such his fair share of just like duds in bowl games. And this one doesn't feel like one he can afford to do. Auburn has snuck out of nowhere to be ranked 14th and, and finish the season strong and, and kind of become a dangerous team. And, and – <laughs> I don't know. I just still feel like Auburn, like you said, like we've talked about with the injuries they've had, this is a game Oklahoma needs to win. And for no other reason other than that, I'm going to pick Oklahoma here. All right, let's jump over to the college football playoff. Some fun games on the slate. We'll stay with the SEC here and pick Bama, Washington. Who you got in this one? Well, Washington is in the spot that I think Chris Peterson wants to be in. He's a 14-point underdog. He's maybe the best David and Goliath coach in the game right now, given the wins he pulled off when he was at Boise State, he's not afraid. I think his best asset is that he knows how to win as an underdog. He understands what it takes to beat a team that has more talent than him. That's what makes this game so intriguing to me. He's not going to try to line up with Alabama and play them toe-to-toe. He's smarter than that. And he's learned that from being at Boise State. So if anyone could pull off a crafty upset here, it's it's him I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think this Bama team is a good matchup for them, especially based upon what USC was able to do to them in Washington. 
I like Bama in this game, but I'm really, really excited to see if Chris Peterson has any magic left now that he's at a major school and not Boise State. Yeah, this is a tough one because I, I love everything you just said about Peterson. I think he's an excellent coach. I feel like Washington got exposed a little bit in that USC game, and that was the toughest team on their schedule, you know, with a team with top-tier talent. I don't think anybody else in the Pac-12 was really working with on Washington's talent level except for USC because Oregon's down, Stanford's a little bit down, UCLA's a little bit down. So I don't know. Uh, Washington is super intriguing. They definitely can play the nobody believes in this card, but so could Michigan State last year, and they got freaking butt trucked. So I don't know. I, I'm going to go Bama here just because I haven't seen anybody stand up to them physically yet. Yeah, really fun game, though, right? I mean, you look at Nick Saban, maybe the best layoff coach in all of football. And and Chris Peterson, maybe one of the other best long layoff coaches in all of football. So really, just a probably a way under the radar game for the average college football fan. They are not appreciating, I think, how interesting this game could be. Uh, if for no other reason than the game theory, the game theory of this game is is beautiful and it's exciting. And for a fan like me, I can't wait to watch how Nick Saban anticipates what Chris Peterson does to him and how Chris Peterson anticipates what he thinks Nick Saban's going to try to do to him. And, and it's, it's, that's why I like watching college football. So this game should be fun. I would love nothing more than for Washington to win this game. I am not an SEC fan. That's reading for Alabama. I'm sick of Alabama. I hope they lose every game for the next 10 years. I could care less about them carrying the torch for the SEC. I am so over that. Well, there you go. That's an interesting. Uh, that's going to be an interesting Bama game. All the Bama fans out there, you know, want to burn you down after saying that. Okay, the other game, the Ohio State University, Clemson, big time matchup. This is going to be a great game. What do you think? So when you look at the stats, and we didn't even talk about the stats in the Bama game because, interestingly enough, Washington actually has better stats than Alabama does in half the categories. But I just discount them because they're playing in a, a vastly inferior Pac-12. The stats in the Clemson-Ohio State game are much more interesting. Ohio State statistically is dominant over Clemson, which was surprising to me when I first looked at it. In fact, very surprising. When you isolate, however, the cupcake games, which Urban Meyer is so famous for inflating his stats, which is one of the reasons why these computer posts love Urban Meyer, is he's a genius at crushing teams that are bad. But when you isolate for the, the quality opponents, Clemson's stats are much better than Ohio State's which I think is important because I think you're going to hear leading up to this game how Ohio State has a better this, a better that, all these things. But I, I think there's a lot of noise in the statistical system there. So for me, I really like Clemson. I don't think they've played their best football. I think they're they're one of those teams that can get in the playoff and now play their best football. They have a top 25 defense. They have an offense that averages over 500 yards a game. They're going up against an Ohio State team that has an exceptionally good defense, uh, top five defense in almost every single category, a very average offense that relies exclusively on the run. They really have not been able to pass against elite opponents. I think Clemson has the defense to be able to, to force Ohio State to pass. Uh, this game, I think, is going to be really interesting to me. I'm really looking forward to it. I think Clemson is going to win this game. I'm taking Clemson over Ohio State for the simple fact that Clemson's defense is good and their offense is better than Ohio State's elite defense and what I think to be an average offense. This is a fascinating game. On one hand, I feel like Clemson is a little bit like Florida State from a couple years ago where they 
uh, you know, never looking like the team we expected them to be all season, and then they get to the playoffs and get exposed by Oregon. I could definitely see that happening here. I could see Clemson just getting waxed by a, you know, Ohio State team that can be dynamic. But there's moments in this Ohio State team where I look at them and I watch them try to throw the ball, and I'm like, this is not an elite team. They are so one-dimensional, and if you can contain JT Barrett running the ball, they're at a loss. I mean, that second half of that Penn State game, I mean, they could do nothing. Penn State was killing them, rushing the passer. They could not throw the ball. So I don't know which narrative I'm buying into. I guess I'm going to be with you and side with Clemson just because I think that they can beat you in – in a variety of ways, and they're, they're dynamic enough on offense when they're really clicking to score on Ohio State. Well, that's all for our show today. We certainly hope you enjoyed your Christmas, your Hanukkah, your holidays with your families, with your friends, with your loved ones. We also hope you enjoyed today's show. We look forward to joining you again next week in the middle of next week. So it'll be in the new year in 2017. Enjoy the weekend. Have a wonderful New Year celebration, New Year's Eve celebration. Uh, whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are. Thanks again for a wonderful 2016 here at the podcast. We would not be the Gator Nation football podcast without all of your support. Thanks so much. We look forward to continuing to bring you content that you love in the new year. Pros, when the job demands more of the supplies you use most, start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, we stock the right quantities you need for any size job and at everyday savings, like up to 30% off drywall, drywall accessories, and insulation every day when you buy in bulk. Order at Lowe'sForPros.com and we'll have your order ready for pickup with dedicated pro loaders to get you loaded up and back to the job site faster. For your next job and the next, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.